Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. I'm Jesse McAnally. And I'm Andrew DeWolf. And welcome to Musicals with Cheese, a podcast where I try to get Andrew to like musical theater week by week and show by show. And today we have what I believe is still our reigning champion for most guesting on Musicals with Cheese, composer, writer, comedian, and everything under the sun. It's Brent Black! Hey! Long time, fellas. back. How you doing? (laughs) Hey. Well, he's technically on every episode since he uh, gives us money. Yeah, we say his name every week. Um, no, honestly, you know, you talk about me being on the show a lot, and I truly, like, if you think about it, I started guesting on this show right around the time I started getting serious about finishing the first draft of of Khan, this show we're, I, I assume, talking about today. Um, no, and, we're talking about six. Ah. Uh, you didn't watch six for this? I <laughs> didn't make it past five. <laughs> Fuck. Oh. Um, no, uh, I just the fact that, like, I'm such a picky little bastard about shows about musicals and craft and i thought if i ever have a show that i'm gonna like that maybe musicals with cheese would cover like it's got to be good enough that i could talk to that other version of me that's so nitpicky and like defend all my choices so it's a wild (laughs) thing after uh nearly something on the order of five years now coming on and being like okay i think I think I did something close to something up to the standards of that loudmouth guy who doesn't like the Adams family. Let's see. Let's roll the dice here. Is it as good as La La Land? <laughs> <laughs> we'll uh, have to I don't find know. Out. In case you haven't figured out what we're talking about this week, we are talking about Con the Musical, Trectacular. Cue the music. Welcome to Star, please. So Con the Musical is a musical written by Brent Black with additional material by Alina Morgan and music and lyrics by Brent Black based on Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. It premiered at the Players Theater on May the 4th, 2023. The plot of Con the Musical is set in 2366 and the time frame of Star Trek The Next Generation. Khan is a camp-heavy exploration of Data, the androids, attempt at adapting the history of Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan into a musical resulting in a comedic mixture of William Shatner impressions, mutant space chickens, and Vulcan tap dancing. The coming of Middle Age story remains mostly true to the original film, with the sci-fi silliness turned up to 11. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is one way it has been described. No, that's that's pretty correct. That's pretty correct. That is a fairly good assessment of this. And I think I need to be pretty for forthcoming with my involvement in this, which isn't like claiming I did much, but I did go to the Cincinnati reading of this way back. I want to say that was in 2019, 2018. March 2019. 
Okay. Um, and I have given notes on previous scripts and versions of this. Um, I, I don't know if anyone knows this about theater, but truly the most important person on the playbill is the eighth um, special thanks on the back. <laughs> <laughs> Um, where you will see that my name is there. <laughs> that is the yeah, most Rachel, important You made one. it on a playbill. Um, <laughs> fun fact, I didn't even know I was there until my girlfriend was just looking. I was like, is that, that's your name. You made it. I swear to God, I will get to like the proper questions, but I have been curious for several days. Now, Andrew, what did you think of Con the Musical? Dang, I got the proper musicals with cheese experience on this one <laughs> i've never seen star trek 2 and i got the bootleg let's go shot okay. on an iphone <laughs> shot on my iphone by the way <laughs> yeah i wasn't really sure what to expect i was like is this just gonna be star trek jokes that go completely over my head i have no fucking clue um there was a there was a lot of uh, parody of other stuff though i i like the the rocky rocky horror stuff that you have going on in there Mm-hmm. Um, and there was some actually decent dramatic numbers. I really like Khan's song, uh, Buried Alive or something like that. Oh, yeah. Thank you. You never watched Wrath of Khan, I'm assuming, Andrew. No, I've never seen anything Star Trek. Nothing Star ever. Trek except for probably a Red Letter Media video or two, considering... I skipped those. Oh, cool. So not even <laughs> not even the basis connection to Star Trek at all. Someone not knowing about Star Trek, what is the plot of Khan the musical just based on the musical itself without any of that extra, like accoutrement to it okay so you have the framing device which is uh data is creating uh, a musical based on all of the other musicals that have ever existed i guess Mm because he's a ai he does the he watches a thousand hours very prescient to have an ai generated musical brent yeah it really is multiple people have said that and i mean i'd like to think i'm a gosh dang genius but not i mean like you know alina morgan who co-conceived the show with me just was like, what if it's Data's show? And he, you know, like, th- that led to kind of the, the AI, you know, sort of uh, procedurally generated, we fed a bot a thousand hours of a thing and it wrote this kind of vibe. But it is weird how that's all just kind of coming to the fore right now. So lucky there, I guess. Mm-hmm. You're going to have uh, AI versions of William Shatner actually singing these songs pretty soon. Oh, if only. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to say Data, as played by Julian Mangerico. Um, I wouldn't say that there's any, like, really standout, because I feel like the standout is the content. More than that, I feel oh, like the show stands beyond. Oh, yes. Stan- I, fe- I said this to you many times, but I feel like the content stands beyond any performer. But I was really impressed, and it, that role of Data really is the only one that gets to show off a diversity of, like, performances and different facets of themselves, and I was very impressed by everything that he brought. It wasn't just imitation it was humor um really yeah, impressed he's, by he's him. amazing he's an amazing performer and we knew the only thing we uh weren't sure of after seeing his audition was whether he would agree to do this show for probably not enough money and probably a little <laughs> bit too inconvenient of a schedule but we knew like we gotta have this guy this is the dude but back I'll, to plot andrew sorry <laughs> uh but that's a framing device the actual plot is um about well, geez, it's it, uh, Kirk, Captain Kirk is well. He's not the captain now. He's admiral. He got like promoted. He's uh, an admiral now, yeah. But he's back on uh, the Enterprise. God, you know, I would tell you the reason if I remembered it. Um, 
She's back on the Enterprise. There's a new captain. Do you know how hard uh, it is for me not to absolutely <laughs> just slap the mic out of Andrew's hand and be like, okay, so. Look, no. you can't explain the plot to your own show. I know, it's I know. Lie. It's I, it's gauche, <laughs> and it's not the rules. I'm just struggling. Go, go ahead, go ahead. Brad, you know I will let you talk very soon. No, I know, I, I know. I want to see him mumble through this, please. I'm enjoying this I as well. I think Spock is the captain now. Is that, Am I right about that? Spock is technically the captain of the Enterprise now, yeah. Explain the Kobayashi oh. Maru to me, Andrew. Okay, the Kobayashi Maru is a training exercise that you can't pass. 10 out of 10. I got it. I did it. 10 out of 10. It's also the name of the ship in the training exercise. That's what it's named after. I figured that one out after Googling it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Kirk is worried that he doesn't have it anymore. Um, it being the ability to be the captain, I think. Probably. Or maybe courage. Um, it's like a... Or brains. E- or maybe bra- the heart. No. The noise. It's none of those. <laughs> <laughs> it's none of those. <laughs> Kirk. He, he needs to get it back and prove that he has it. Um, meanwhile, uh, some other people from a different ship land on some planet, and uh, this mean dude, Khan, is there, and he, he like, takes over their ship. Uh, Khan is fabulous and is the guy from... He's, he's, he's Frankfurter? What, what is his name? What's his fucking name? Frankenfurter? Yeah. He's yeah. that guy. <laughs> <laughs> what a diminishing description of him, but <laughs> oh come on! <laughs> um, he does a great job. He's he, funny as hell. Yeah, every he's, bit of Khan does live up to him being the title of the show. Khan hates Kirk because Kirk stranded him on that planet. Yep, he got stranded on that planet probably because he's an asshole. It seems like he is a bit of an asshole. So he swears revenge. He chases after the Enterprise. He gets some bomb uh, that isn't a bomb, but it is totally a bomb. It blows up like an entire galaxy. The Genesis machine and br- the Genesis turns it into machine. the Sega Genesis. It's great. Nintendo. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really plotty show, so you're actually doing great, but you're like about a quarter of the way in, if that. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna maybe try to fly through it a little faster yeah. here. Okay. Um, now let's talk about Kirk's son. <laughs> We're not talking about Kirk's son. <laughs> oh, we're not going to talk about Peter Preston either now. You're just like gonna, the other edits. Oh, my God. We're going to talk about it later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm skipping that. All All right. Right. It's not that Im- that important, I think. Kirk becomes, sort not becomes captain again, but he like assumes the role of captain uh, for because Spock comes to him and asks him to do it because he needs to. I, I forget the exact reasoning. But it, there's a reason. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, Andrew. They get into a fight. Kirk wins because Khan is not good at space fights. And then Khan is like, I'm going to kill everybody. Fuck it. And he blows up the bomb. And then Spock fixes the warp drive that got broken. But he dies because there's radiation. And everyone is sad. But then Spock comes back to life because they saved the whales. Um, <laughs> the end. Ten, 10 out of 10. Bravo, sir. I missed. I skipped like a shit ton. I skipped so fucking much. It's called Act but... 2. Um... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's about accurate. Brent, any notes? Oh, God. Um, there... I noticed there isn't a plot synopsis in your playbill, so maybe Andrew should write it. 
Maybe I should write it. I, I came pretty close. I yeah, I, I might need a little bit of a little bit of copy editing, but other than that, yeah, no perfection. Perfection. <laughs> I would add the coming of middle age story. What is a coming of middle age story? Could you let us know? Well, it's that's a play on words of coming of age, meaning that like when you come mm. of age, it's you 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 reach a milestone involving a new Bar chapter mitzvah. of your life. Yes, exactly, and and um, so. Uh, Kirk is now having to deal with being, it's like, you know, when you deal with hitting puberty, it kind of hits you and you have to deal with it because it's coming no matter what. But middle age is the mm-hmm. same way. And Kirk is the kind of guy in this show that like, he's been saying, he, he's been saying every birthday for years that he's turning 49. He's really kind of a Peter Pan. Like he doesn't want to get older. He doesn't want to feel weak. And, um, so part of the show is him, um, kind of just learning to accept that aging uh, is just how it's going to be and not to, well, maybe this is, I, I should probably save this for later, but I'm not gonna, that the Kobayashi Maru, which is the test you kind of just can't pass, you can't beat it, time and aging and death and the sands of time that Khan sing about, like, that is the Kobayashi Maru. It's all the same thing. And Kirk, whether or not it's explicitly stated, he kind of realizes by the end in, you know, a moment that now two of you have seen, but I might not spoil. We'll see. Um, but, you know, ha- has a realization about how time works and how, if you look at it in a certain light, we all have a lot more time than others. Well, speaking of time, let's talk about the development of the show. How did you come up with the initial idea? And why Wrath of Khan when, by all tacticality, Star Trek is a, ver- a thing that's lasted for a good majority of the 20th century and all of the 21st century as a piece of art with thousands and thousands of hours of material? Why this specific film and this specific story? Got it. Okay, those are two different questions, so I'm probably going to be mm-hmm. like, what was the second one? But I'll start with how it happened. 2015, had a crush on a dancer. She says, come to this show in Brooklyn. It's a weird dance show in a basement. I say, okay. I go, (laughs) it's uh, kind of a mixed bag, and I'm kind of bored for a lot of it. But there's these two spacemen that come on and start dancing, and I'm just like, oh, huh. They kind of look like, you know, the two space guys that go down to the desert planet and meet Khan. And, like, I just kind of was thinking about that because I was not super into the show I was watching. <laughs> and um, little by little, I just was like, huh. Like, there's, like, something exquisitely bad about that idea, even though it is a very dramatic and almost operatic story. And it just kept nagging at me. It wasn't so much that I, you know, I didn't go, I want to write a Star Trek musical, which is the correct one. Though, I think I would have still come back to Wrath of Khan because a lot of Star Trek stories aren't really... Um, dramatic in this way. They don't have characters Mm. that would sing from their hearts. They have more cerebral kind of puzzles to solve and allegories to, uh, to, to spell or allegories to portray that tell us something about the time we're currently in. This is kind of its own little, um, I don't know. it, It, it is its own little detour in the way Star Trek stories are told that is pretty unique. And, you know, I've been asked, why the villain Khan? And it's like, well, while this idea just kind of occurred to me rather than me, like, trying to figure out the ideal one, the more you think about it, it's like, um, the other villains in Star Trek movies include the lack of two humpback whales, a variety of poorly motivated evil Klingons that are just evil, um, a, a cloud 
half the size of our solar system with a satellite in the middle of it. These are not necessarily villains that would sing from their heart, whereas Khan, he thinks of himself as like the Count of Monte Cristo. He thinks of himself as like, man, I have really been wronged. I'm the good guy here. And that makes a great villain, even if I'm doing Frankenfurter with him. Like, he really does mm. think he's the one that deserves ret- retribution, even though he, you know, he started it. Um, anyway, so, like, yeah, it's <laughs> it's like I didn't set out to to write a Wrath of Khan musical. It kind of chose me in a weird way. I outlined it. Um, I thought it was going to be narrated by one character, and then my friend Alina was like, why don't you make it Data's show? And even though that concept has taken on a lot of iterations over the years, um, that stuck around and, and mm-hmm. informed it, informed how the parody works. So... It's really just. Can I ask who was originally narrating it? <clears throat> yes, Q. Q is an omniscient, uh, kind of impish, godlike figure from uh, Star Trek who will be like, I'm going to fuck with you, Picard. I'm going to snap <laughs> my fingers, and now your whole ship is polka dots and everyone's on the ceiling, and you have to figure out a way to get out of it that'll actually tell an interesting <laughs> story about the human condition. <laughs> but, it, like, it didn't make as much sense that Q would be retelling it. Why does he care? He, We don't know him to be familiar with those cats. The, the right. And the con and the... So the idea of it being a Data episode where Data's trying a new thing, the way he tries to write poetry on the show and music. And he does try acting on the holodeck, which, for those of you that don't know, is like a big virtual reality room that's so technologically advanced it all feels real, even though it's technically just made of energy and light. Um, anyway, I'm getting far afield. I, I think, did I, did I sort of answer those questions, Jess? Yes, you did. You both you, you hit both of them right on the head. Um, so... Development, what were the biggest sticking points? And as far as writing goes, because we rarely have writers, I think the only person that we've had on to talk about their show, aside from you, is Adam Wachter, and we didn't even dive into this, is what were the biggest hurdles to get over creatively and narratively, especially when taking something that already exists and how many liberties you can take for it? Um, you know, the, the a couple things. Um, it's tough to know how much to commit to the story, um, the initial draft was very slavish to the movie. Some people have noted that it still seems pretty, you know, like pretty, <clears throat> I don't love the word slavish, but I'm having a hard time thinking of another, you know, it adheres to the movie really well, mm-hmm. but it's like, what can you change and how does that help the comedy? Um, one of the really big challenges is how to make it fun for non-Trekkies. And how to have a balance of you're going to enjoy it even if you're not a Trekkie, though you will enjoy it more if you are. And Mm -hmm. even with that being the case, everyone can walk away having had an okay time or even a great time. People will tell me unprovoked. They'll be like, I've never seen an episode of Star Trek. My husband dragged me along to this. I love it. Are you are you? going to be extended. I want to tell my friend from Nebraska to come see it. Uh, That's a flex, but it's true. (laughs) And the thing Mm -hmm. is, that was not the first draft. The first draft was not like that. Second draft was not like that. Right around the third draft, it started to be more universally accessible. But the formula I figured out is roughly four out of five of of the references in the show need to function just fine even if you don't get them that makes perfect sense i have a question yes about andrew how did you do it in a legal sense 
You know, I know parody, you can get away with a lot, but. I have a lot of dirt on the president of Paramount Global, and he owes me. No, um, I didn't I even knew know it. if it's I knew it. No, um, actually, <laughs> so when I was writing the show, first off, I, I feel like, um, once again, doing parody material on YouTube sort of primed me for the realization that in many cases, if, I mean, it's sad to say, if you just call something a parody in its title, Everywhere it appears, that's a huge step. If you can use the word unauthorized, that's another one. Even though, and I'm not trying to trash any other particular show or say it's bad, but there are shows Fuck that you, have Titanic. Run along. <laughs> Titanic is fun. <laughs> Titanic is really fun. But in 2018, when I was still working on the first draft, I worked at a co-working space in Philly, and I sat down for lunch one day, and you know, sit by somebody, and it's almost like high school cafeteria. Like, oh, what do you do? And he was like, what are you working on? I'm like, oh, I'm actually, actually working on a Star Trek musical. And he, like, two hands down on the table, like, Phoenix Wright, buddy, you need to hire me. I am an IP lawyer and a Trekkie, and I'm going to help you not get sued. And I was like, that's a hell of a pitch. <laughs> so Rob Jackal. So did you hire him? I sure fucking <laughs> did. And he, uh, he now does immigration law because he's a good person. Ugh, can you believe it? <laughs> what an asshole. Um, but... Uh, he, before that, was my Star Trek lawyer and helped me sort of um, specifically in the theater space, as opposed to one music video on YouTube, helped me figure out how you do a parody. And a lot of it is you got to be very, very frequently commenting on the source material. It, it does constantly reference and like, I think the the, uh, the framing device is a really good way uh, of you doing that, too. Because uh, whenever whenever Data steps back out, he's like, well, isn't that goofy? <laughs> right, right. Unrelated, but related. Have you seen the Star Trek church parody musical? Dang it, Spock! I'm a doctor, not a worship leader. Oh. <laughs> You've had many readings and different... The process of writing a musical, it's not just like you decide to write it, you wrote it, and then put on a show five weeks later. It took years and years in different readings, different productions, all that to get you to where you are now at the Players Theater with this really, really fantastic cast. That process of workshopping, I feel like people often overlook it. What is your impression of it? How was that for you? Well, so a fact about me that's actually not very well known is that I had an off-Broadway show in 2010. Mm -hmm. It ran for three weeks. It was called I'll Be Damned. It was a Faustian story about a homeschooled kid and Satan wants his soul. The kid wants a friend. And it turns out... They're both pretty shitty at, at finding a friend. And cool premise, total flop. The New York Times reviewed it with the nicest, like, F minus. They were It was like a kind, non-cruel, oh, oh, bad no. review. You can go find it. Ben Brantley, it's called I'll Be Damned. And it had, like, a legit... Oh, Ben like, Brantley be roasted you. Yep. <laughs> it had a legit, like, beloved theater star uh, in Mary Testa. And Kenita Miller, who's also totally legit, and others... But it flopped, and uh, it wasn't ready. So I think that really informed my choice to take it really slow. For context, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, Brent, in the production I saw in Cincinnati all those moons ago, just to show the difference, um, it ended with a fight between Khan, Picard, and Kirk. Yes. And, like... <laughs> How? Wait, where did that the come from? The AI goes off the rails, and the story comes out into the world of data, and they have to get it back in. So that was a very oh, fan servicey okay. ending originally. I loved it in the moment. Like it still seemed like if we could have 
if you could have had a bigger cast, which is not really always possible with off-Broadway shows and things at this size, that would have been really cool. But I feel I don't feel unsatisfied not having that and just having what you've got now, which is pretty great. Thanks. Well, you know, I mean, <clears throat> I, I, I talked as early as 2019 to off-Broadway producers mm-hmm. who... Um, you know, would just tell me you got 14 people in your cast, but the theater industry has changed, especially off-Broadway. And this is even pre-COVID off-Broadway musicals. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you might be able to get somebody to produce your show if it's got 10, but you really want it to be more like eight. And I was like, eight? There's no way. What are you, eight? And what I had to do was trim, 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 simplify, simplify. And then eventually I realized, oh, Data's not just a narrator. Data is going to play all these different roles, which makes it where fewer people need to act in the show. But now he's got more to do. And he somehow went from the narrator to just about the lead. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. Kirk's the lead of the story, <laughs> but Data's the final bow now. Um, and in a weird way, the limitation of personnel created a show that I think is much tighter, makes a lot more sense, uh, doesn't have as many layers upon layers, as even, you know, like, uh, versions as recently as late 2019 or 2020 did. And so, yeah, I mean, you, you talk about budget, Jess, and it's like, the reason they say New York, you know, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere, is because everything's so goddamn expensive and prohibitive here. <laughs> yeah, if you can make it here where the shitty cheddar cheese is seven ninety nine a block, you can make it anywhere, kid. <laughs> Well, I think this transition and tangent leads us into our next uh, segment, which is previews, where we compare our opinions to those of the theater critics in New York. This is and this s- is cruelty to Brent. I think we have to read reviews of his show. Honestly, the thing is, this show honestly, got really good reviews. Yeah, dude. I mean, like, bring it on. I, I, I love to. I, I, what can I say? It's not a flex. It's just true. Like. We didn't get reviewed by the Times. Anyway, I won't I won't spoil it. Go ahead, Jess. Jesse Green didn't have nothing to say. <laughs> Too good <laughs> for <yet>. him. <laughs> I, I will say, um, Brent, with all the love in the world, that audience that I saw it with is like the worst kind of audience. It's the audience that really wants to be part of the show in a weird way. Yeah. Oh, that was the Which one. Which I'm not the, a fan the of. The yelling guys in the back. Yeah. Yeah, that only happened once, but yeah, we had basically like drunk people at a convention energy. I mean, the audience was, was into it, but people were oh, yeah. in the back half of the room hearing those guys, like, laughing at the setup, and then the punchline gets, like, weird, like, gets kind of muddied. It was a very strange night. But here's the thing. They were having more fun than anybody else in that room, so it's hard to hate it. It's hard to <laughs> be mad. I will hate it, because I came to have a good night. I don't want to hear you whistling the communicator thing every five seconds. Jess is in there. He's in, he's in his Sunday best. He's, like, ready to watch. <laughs> <laughs> He's got his little binoculars. <laughs> his, my, my white gloves. <laughs> bow tie. Just ready to these, go. These audience members having fun in the back row. Oh, the riffraff. <laughs> Who let the rabble in this place of theater? The Players Theater. If y'all knew anything, no, no shade to the Players Theater, but with peace and love, it is a dive bar of a theater. It is not fancy, and they will be the first to tell you. So, but yeah, I'm sorry about that, Jess. But I mean, if if you still had a good time and that happened, I think I that loved says it. something about the show. It's time for previews. It's time for previews. So, 
let's look at look at the theater scene review. Um, the music is well done, with the songs fully integrated into the storyline and lyrics that help define essential elements of the character's nature and are filled with inside Star Trek references and jokes. For example, when Vera Cusett skillfully Welcome. sings young, entirely in character as Kirk, we hear Kirk as an older man regretting getting old and no longer being able to be the arrogant, swashbuckling starship captain of his youth. When we meet Khan for the first time, Krop sings My Wrath, which gives a history of how he came to be in this place and the reason for his extreme anger at Kirk. Although many of the references will be missed by a non-Star Trek audience, the songs are well-constructed and more importantly, they are sung by a cast that knows how to sing on key and on pitch. While you may not leave the show humming a tune, they are the types of songs no one, one will return to without getting bored. Um, I disagree. I was humming some of these songs when I left. Um, maybe it's because I've heard them a bunch, but I swear to God, um, the co- what do you do? It's a dude. Like that is a song that has been in my head since 2018 and repeatedly comes in. Thank you. You know, honestly, I I've gone back and forth on on the whole like the notion that the music is serviceable and not that hummable or catchy. On the one hand, mm-hmm. plenty of great shows don't have quote hummable scores like Sondheim even writes non-hummable scores with shows about non-hummable scores mm-hmm. but but I th- I wonder how much of it is the fact that Data kind of puts his own score down by like talking about how it's derivative and then later Picard says your, your musical was you know it's uh, quite serviceable and I'm like is this like <laughs> telling in a way like the reviewers to I don't know that's that's maybe a little bit licking my wounds did you review wounds, your own show in the show and maybe, then they wrote it down maybe that's what I'm saying <laughs> it could be licking my wounds but I don't know like you say Jess to me it's like oh I, I actually think it's pretty catchy but it's also not like cats were like memory they know you're gonna be humming memory even if you hated the show for the rest of your life but that is a theater review then I want to look at the Trekkies review Andrew this is from trekmovie.com why don't you read that one While the first act of the show was marginally stronger than the second, the show definitely sticks the landing with an exuberant finale that runs the audience through every TOS era. What is the original series era? Yeah, yeah. Star Trek Trek movie. And even features an appearance by a pair of humpback whales of our acquaintance. Spoiler. (laughs) And there there are space chickens. Yeah, they spoiled the ending. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess I spoiled the ending earlier. <laughs> Star Trek Four spoiled the ending. True. If you're within driving distance of New York City and are a Trek fan, this show was lovingly and expertly crafted for you. Our audience was full of Trek-uniformed, Trek-t-shirted people. It was fantastic seeing a great show with our extended nerd family, including my daughter, who <laughs> wrote this review. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> The, the, the Trekkies love it, but the thing that is so interesting is Trekkies accidentally gatekeep it in their praise for it. They will oh. say, they will say, if you don't know anything about Star Trek, you're not going to have a good time. If you're not a Trekkie, you may as well not come. And it's like people that aren't Trekkies, they, you know, I'm sure not all of them love it A plus plus, but they have a great time. It was, it's worth the money, um, and if not, they don't, you know. They don't really mention it online in an age where it's so easy to throw bombs online if you don't like something. So it's it's one interesting side effect of, of um, it being a show for a nerd fandom is the fandom itself kind of warning you that you will have an experience that they are unable to have. So how would they know? I think fandoms tend to do that. They, they mm-hmm. really like they like to have stuff 
that's theirs and no one else can have it. Um, right. So they'll they'll gatekeep stuff that they like and tell other people not to watch it because they like it. Yeah, it's very <laughs> weird. You like musical theater? Name 83 musicals. There is one negative review for this show that I was able to find, and it did take some searching to find it. This is from Meg6178 on Showscore.com. Have you read this, Brent? I have indeed. Okay, I've given so you... it a lot of thought. <laughs> yep. I, I, I have a lot of thoughts about this review specifically, so... The title is Cliched, Slow, Masterful, Quirky, Disappointing. Masterful, though. Yeah, include a little bit. It is such a masterfully cliche thing. They so exquisitely nailed the banality <laughs> and triteness of this entertainment. Sorry, Jess, go ahead. Um, let me see if I can do this in, like, a proper way. See it if you want to see a Killer Kirk or Data impression, or a diehard Trek fan who will see anything Trek-related, or have low expectations. Don't see <laughs> it if you are looking for a clever take, a la Titanic. You are unfamiliar with Star Trek Khan, or you dislike amateurish acting from half the cl- cast. Um, <laughs> what? No. Mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> No, like, have you, have you never been to community theater? This is, like, pretty pretty high up there as far as most theater is concerned. Also, unfortunately, I think they picked the wrong movie to parody, as there are a lot of beats to hit with Khan, and the story really drags with an intermission and second act. Oh, my goodness, a musical with a second act. And an intermission. <laughs> what is the world they? coming to? I had to sit there for 15 minutes and there was nothing on the stage. What were they thinking? I paid $2 for beer and it was nice. Many of the jokes from actors other than Kirk, Data, and Spock did not land for me, dot, 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 dot. That said, a lot of the audience was laughing uproariously at swear words. The F word and NYC? Okay, that one pisses me off because you were very keen to not swear very often and you gave yourself one good F word. That is worth the wait, in my opinion. Am I well, incorrect? It, no, you are not. That is correct. The, the thing is, the, the most important part of, the, of that sentence that I will de- you know, I'll come back around after is that so it could have just been me. The audience was laughing uproariously at swear words, the F word, at NYC, and exposition. So it could have just <laughs> been me. Now, what she's talking about is there's a line in The Wrath of Khan where Bones, who's always hated Spock, uh, or at least disliked him, says, Are you out of your Vulcan mind? And the joke is obviously that Vulcan kind of sounds like fucking ha ha ha. But in this version, it's just a cute little reference. He goes, Are you out of your Vulcan mind? <coughs> Excuse me. Are you out of your fucking mind? And it's like, that's the, the idea is like that he meant fucking all along. Ha ha ha. And... Uh, let me get to the end, and then we'll okay. we'll get there. Because um, then they compare you to... In contrast with a show like Titanic, this was less of a feel-good show, fandom love letter, that makes some sense even if you haven't seen the original, and closer to an SNL skit that goes on for a few hours. I can't imagine a musical theater fan who hasn't watched Star Trek would be very interested at this production, quality and acting. I appreciate the fact that Khan tried to do something, and I... What the fuck? <laughs> I do think it is better than some musicals on stage right now. Example, New York, New York. Hey, you beat me at Lin-Manuel Miranda in their eyes. Yay! Um, that said, the show insert mentions rating the show on Showscore, so I wanted to help set the expectations from my POV. 
Well, I mean, look, the thing that I am not sure how I feel about, first off, if that's the worst review we got, yeah. and it's from an anonymous person, I am pretty proud of that. But also, and they can have whatever opinion they have. Um, what I have a problem with in general, and you see this in a lot of audience uh score kind of things is you can tell when somebody comes in and they want it to be a specific thing that it didn't promise to be. And if it does not achieve being a thing, they just speculated it might be, then they don't like it. Like it, they wanted it to be Titanic. Titanic is an awesome, weird, funny show, but it is a Celine Dion jukebox musical that is 85 minutes long and a series of sketches about, you know, the movie Titanic, wanting this to be that, you know, like, I mean, there was another guy who just wanted it to be like a parody of all Star Trek. And it's like, well, I get that. I would totally go see that show. We didn't, that's not really on the tin though, my man. I think that's common in reviews though. I see a lot of reviews of, of, uh, of a lot of different things where people will just be like, I wanted this and then I bought this and it wasn't this. It never promised to be this. But it wasn't, and now because I wanted that, I'm gonna rate it poorly. Take right. a look at every like... review of us on <laughs> Apple Podcasts. Yeah, like we have negative reviews that are like, "I was hoping this would be a well-researched and very serious discussion about all of the intricate details of every show," and instead, it's two guys goofing around. And it's like, yeah, but like we, the description of our show is like two guys goofing around. <laughs> I wanted it to be a pair of lesbians singing barbershop quartets, and I was quite disappointed. Like, I mean, what are you gonna? <laughs> it's, it's just it's it's left field sometimes. Really you got is. minor details about Bat Boy incorrect. One star. <laughs> Literal yeah. review we have. Yeah, that's your fault, by the way. Yeah, you got thanks, those Brent. details wrong. <laughs> Look, I will say, I I wait. What? Okay. <laughs> and, Andrew just gave a D minus book report on what my show's about, and I fucked up your Bat Boy episode. Okay. And you know what's gonna happen? There's not going to be any negative reviews about how bad I fucked up your the story for this. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Brent's going to write it. They love it. <laughs> yeah. Brent's going to write the review. Brent6178. How about we go into a mid-show, then we talk about some of these songs? Because while we've talked a lot about the show and all it created, we didn't really talk about songwriting, which you are mostly known for on the internet. So let's go into that. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt you in the middle of the show, but I've been left high and dry by both my co-hosts for the day, so I'm doing the Patreon alone. Uh, today's show is brought to you by the extremely kind donations by our donors over at Patreon. Patreon is this wonderful place where you can come join us, have fun, and do a lot of other shit with us. We have Patreon meetups, and we have commentaries, we've got discounts on merch, and you can also pick what shows we cover on here and join us for episodes if you want to be, just like Brent. Um, and maybe if you write a musical one day, we'll invite you on. 
Um, but that's a hard maybe. But our current patrons are Melissa Goldman, Danielle Renix, Justice Ampedio, and Cassidy, Monica Thoreau, Brent Black. Hey! Nathaniel Stacey Coombe, Joseph Evans Green, Mary Lou Choquette, John Vanals, Russ Walker, Musical Hell, Emily Gracie, Kyle Summers, Jen AC, Scoot in the Technicolor Dreamcoat, Liz Lim, Nothing is Certain Except Beth and Taxes, Thesbian, Jessica T, Mitchell Young, Chai Teacup, Katie McDonough, Chris Smartcoat, Kiji Marie Anastasio, Layla, RJ Narija, Bjorn Hermans, Toriana Frazier, Sammy, The Most Lopez, Liana Morton, Kaylee Blazier, Cinema Gen Reviews, Villainous Miss, Sofiana Ali, The Omega Geek, Paige Pearson, Maddie Wargol, Alyssa Erdman, Anna Loskotova, Sarah Denblecker, Evan Ball, Zachary Torres, Rora Morasso, Mara Forloin, Captain Rodtastic, Lisa L, Nobody, Wedded Borisay, Puffy Boy, Summer Julia Hardy, Jack Kusia, and Caitlin Bridgman. They all give us a little extra financial support that helps us keep the lights on here at Musicals with Cheese. If you'd like to join them in supporting us and get all that fun shit, come join them over at Patreon. All right, we got some songs to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Last night, wait, 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 where were we going with that story? We closed con yesterday. Yes. So I'm still a little hungover and underslept from the cast party, which kept us up very late. And then because I drank so much, I did not sleep well. So what did you do I, for the cast party? We all just went to a nearby <laughs> bar that had this empty back room with kind of like um, makeshift karaoke. And had, like, a weird little karaoke party where the producers were like, hey, food and drinks on us. And we just kept hanging out till everybody was like, silly, silly. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, in case you're wondering why these don't quite sound like a perfected studio cast album, it's because they're demos sung by probably mostly Brent himself. Um, so this is not how the show will be sounding if you go to see it at the Players Theater or wherever it'll end up next. Right, and at the time of recording this podcast, I'm not sure which versions that I will supply Jess with because <laughs> I don't know which songs he's going to want to talk about. But they may be versions that were done in readings uh, of the past by actors from those shows. So, um, yeah, like, just know that none of the stuff you're hearing is from the production we're talking about today. Because mm -hmm. we just need some. But uh, welcome to Starfleet. I don't think I've ever heard that song before I sat down at the Players Theater. In this utopian, socialist, relativistic, only militaristic, low-key, atheistic, pro-futuristic, anachronistic, starless, the fleet of the stars. Um, it was. It seemed completely new to me. Um, I and. I liked it because <laughs> I'm used to usually the data intro and then just going into the Kobayashi Maru. What it what triggered you to make that little intro before going into it? Um, I saw a show called Stranger Sings, which uh, I kind of think of it. So it's a parody of Stranger Things. And I think of my show as in some ways following in its footsteps. Stranger Things. And it just has this fun opening number that sets a tone and kind of tells you what you're in for. And I was like, you know, the old version of the show just kind of tosses you in the deep end. And you kind of have to figure out the tone while you're also being barraged with exposition. And I just went, we need to, like, set the tone and have 
like a palate cleanser from whatever the hell your day has been like and whatever you were expecting. And what's wild about Welcome to Starfleet is I think it is not necessarily, it is not amazing writing per se. It is not my favorite thing in the show. And it doesn't always get huge laughs. But what it does, I think, is let the audience off the hook, tell them, hey, it's fine. It's going to be silly. It disarms them a bit by making them go, is this as corny as the show means to be? Or is this show not realizing it's super corny? I liked it. I think it's great. But the Kobayashi Maru... I think you'll probably agree, Andrew. Great opening number. Probably the catchiest, like, overall tune because it is re- the one that is repeated the most throughout the entire narrative. Here we go again. But I guess this brutal test is about to take its toll. Take its toll. Bring on this auto-routine guard patrol. Charging weapons, they're closing fast. And you've got no way out. When you got no chance, that's what this whole thing is about. Oh, come on. What do you do? What do you do? Um, so I, I am very impressed by that song and have been since the first time I've heard any version of it. Thanks. I think it's it's really good as well to have um even though it's like a parody, you still have this um, like central uh, theme, like emotional theme that mm-hmm. still follows through. It's not just uh, all like goofs and gaffs, you know. It's like you actually have like a, a, a core to it. Thanks. You know, I, I think I'm really in that way. I'm really informed by Twisted, which is, as you probably know, the musical parody of Disney's Aladdin and also a little bit Wicked by Star Kid, Team Star Kid. Uh, it hasn't aged perfectly, but what it is is a hilarious and sometimes super dirty, goofy musical that can actually surprise you with how emotional it is. It can make you kind of really feel bad for Jafar. That's mm-hmm. a hell of a thing to be able to do. And so, yeah, I, I kind of went like there are emotional beats in this story that it would be it would almost be more of a betrayal to the fandom to not take them a little more seriously and sometimes in taking them seriously, you can have fun, but there's like, you know, people do cry at one or two points of this show. Um, and I appreciate you noticing that, Andrew, because it was a really tricky balance. But I, I I think the trick is just make it a story that means something to the characters and has a structure that I, I'm respecting the story well enough to give it a good structure, even if I'm constantly making fun of it at the same time. Well, I, I think that's what I like the most about it, because... Personally, and, and I mean, I don't. We don't talk about spoofs or parodies very often, but I'm not a huge fan of like just straight parodies where they mm-hmm. just are like, "Here's the material, we just goof," and there's like, that's it. Right. Um, I feel like you have to have something that you take seriously, or else it's just uh, it, it doesn't really work. Right. Well, like when Family Guy does their Blue Harvest stuff, and they mm-hmm. just go through every beat of Star Wars, and they do a little sketch or a little wouldn't it be funny if. And the thing is, that's a lot of fun for 20 minutes at a time or even an hour at a time. But it's not a musical. Yeah. And if you're not at all emotionally involved in a musical that's going to sit there and sing at you for three minutes every five minutes, it's just so much more of a slog, I think. 100%. Now, Brent, I'm going to go through the rest of this in an interesting way. So 
Now, which one was the most rotten fraud? Which one did you struggle over the most over your little um, candle at midnight um, over your your writing desk? I would say I'm just trying to double check. Well, okay, there's two answers. The one that stayed in the show was Kobayashi Maru. So the song mm-hmm. that you've heard that took the most work was Kobayashi Maru because it has to be an opening number that explains the universe, explains the tone, and actually sets up the story you're about to see, even if you're not familiar with any of those things, and it's got to be catchy, and, you know, like, really embody the premise. It's one thing for Data to tell you, hey, um, I watched a bunch of musicals, and now I'm trying to write one, and so, you know, I'm influenced by a bunch of different things. It's another for a song to reference Rocket Man and reference 1776 by stealing from it and have, uh, you know, kind of, eight styles of music in one, but all sort of hang together somehow. And the hardest thing about Kobayashi, you know, Andrew, earlier you said that you had to look up why it's called the Kobayashi Maru. And I used to explain that. And eventually I just stopped because it's like the audience just needs to know the bare ass (laughs) minimum. It's a test. You can't pass it. It's a simulation. And and, uh, the hardest thing about that one was just literally just relearning the old adage, show, don't tell. Like, five drafts of that thing were like, oh, I just need to tell the audience what it is more. Just keep telling them in different ways. It's like, nah, dude. Just, like, show Savick having to deal with the reality of this test um, and trust them a little more. But that was the hardest one that was that still remains. But in another way, the hardest moment was the 11 o'clock number, which is now called Boldly Go, but was for mm-hmm. years called We Might Not Die. Sometimes when you boldly go, you boldly make a mess. Sometimes you feel boldly no. But you gotta say boldly yes. Cause you never boldly go. There's so much you don't get to know. It's time to set a horse and boldly go. You may harbor some remorse, but you get back on that horse. You don't have to use the force to make it slow. You just need structurally, especially in a story that has a lot of kind of negatively charged, murky kind of uh, a lot of bad things happens, like kind of a dark uh, second act after the beginning. So it's like I need this one big moment of like true joy, like fun before we kind of barrel all the way through the next probably 25 minutes that don't have much real fun in them, real joy in them until the finale. Um, it was very hard to come up with that, uh, that moment. And at the same time, uh, it sort of, it sort of functions as both answers to your question, Jess, because while it was the hardest moment to nail, it probably came out just about as fast as Peter Preston. Cause once you've been writing a show for eight years, once you happen upon the concept of a new song, it just starts to work and it just made sense. And being able to mm-hmm. use the. Star Trek phrase, boldly go. Sorry to the Raymond brothers who called their musical that and called their opening number that, but it's too good not to make a, a song title out of it. What can I say? Mm-hmm. Point. 
Um, so, B- Boldly Glow, um, I really appreciated it, because I hadn't heard any variation of that before I saw the show. I was always, I had seen many versions of We Might Not Die, though. Um, Boldly Glow, I was, it was also a mix of another cut song, which is, um, Why Are We Here, which was between Sulu and Yuhura. Um, and I was just happy that they had another moment where they are kind of the center of attention for a bit. Yeah, um, it was, it was tough to, to combine all these things, but I appreciate you noticing that. And I thought that was great. And as for, I, I love all your songs, but We Might Not Die, Boldly Go, Blows It Out the Water, in my opinion. I love that moment. I love that scene. Um, and, yeah, I really thought it it made the second act flow a lot better. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you so, know, I appreciate kudos. that because it was, yeah, it was a heavy lift, but long time coming. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Now, is there any other big songs that you want to talk about, Andrew, that we haven't already? Uh, I just I really liked the Khan song, "Buried Alive." Yeah, I thought that that one was really catchy. I actually that's the one that's been stuck in my head. That little da 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 da. I really like that. <laughs> Thanks. After all this time, you retreat and disappear. If you want true revenge, you've got to come down here. No. The sands of time, they don't reward the bold. As Klingons say, revenge, kapla, kapla, ka best served gold. Enjoy your stay, now I'll say my to live. You'll choke and wail and starve, just as my people had to do. Buried alive, buried alive. Did you get that from something, or is that just... So, here, so Andrew, I, I, I swear to God, this is how it happened. I wrote it, I thought it was so cool. I'm like, ooh, it's modal. It's got these, oh, it's like, it's like a, you know, and, and I thought it was very cool and spooky. And then, like, months later, somebody goes, wait a minute, isn't that... Isn't that Bowser's theme from Super Mario 64? <laughs> and I was like, ah, is it? Fuck. Bump. Yes. Bump. Yeah. But it's set differently over the harmonization. It's set differently in the measure, like you know, in the in the count. And music just, you know, it wasn't intentional at all. And Look, there's only 12 notes, you know, come on. Exactly. <laughs> but it wasn't, if anything, that song is more derivative of Pilate and Christ from, uh, from Jesus Christ Superstar. Uh, where those of you who know, you know, when he's mm. going, Who is this broken man? There's these like, um, it's like a slinky kind of song. And there's these violin stabs in between. And like, I didn't mean for it to evoke that plot point from that but it just felt like a mm-hmm. good like it kind of rocks but it's also kind of evil no i i think that's great and also it just feels like a proper villain song i always appreciated how there is like j- no big big jokes aside from like the sand of time go get cracked shoved up into your crack i feel like that's it yeah the, the <laughs> first the first chorus starts with the sands of time get all up in your crack and there are other jokes but they're not that kind of a joke like, yeah it, it turns mostly serious and mostly villainous pretty quick. Um, I also love, I, I, I'm, I, I love parody songs, but My Wrath is probably my favorite like tone parody in the entire show. I just barely survived, because once we arrived, this planet went into dust, and I 
time that came that i think it's one of those songs that stuck with me because it feels like that song is a promise <laughs> and i think i said that to you after the cincy reading once you, you you since you're doing that parody song you have to promise he's gonna meet that level of camp for the rest of the show yep and con yep. delivers he does indeed thank you zachary crop um, who played our con yes um I mean, you've had a sea of incredible cons, even in your Philly Fringe uh, production. That that sure, was another yeah. different take on a con, but equally camp in a different way. Absolutely. Um, so I, I love that song. I love the slight change, because I think in the original versions, it was just Sweet Sweet Vengeance, and it became Sweet True Vengeance in this newer version. Yeah, because, I mean, so I'm going to say a word that I think might be a little bit outdated, but we all mm-hmm. know from Rocky Horror Suite, transvestite. It was sweet, sweet vengeance, but it was like, I want my sweet, sweet vengeance, like sweet transvestite, like it's the same thing Mm -hmm. and probably it has either been played on this episode or is about to be. But when I went, wait a minute, Sweet True Vengeance sounds a little bit more like transvestite. It's like, <laughs> fuck it, okay, let's try it. And it seems to work. I love it. I love it, and I hear it, and it's great. Um, and I, I really don't want to go into many other songs because I feel like a lot of folks will, will get a, more out of them seeing them live. Like, the finale is a great listen. It's better if you see it live. I, I hope that there's future plans for this. Um, is there any you'd be willing to give hints vaguely toward um so i uh, i'll put it this way of course there's going to be more performances of this show of course i eventually want it to have uh been performed all over the place and be something in a catalog that you can license for your community theater high school you know junior version university all the way up to regional and broadway west end toronto you know um how we get there you said, are there plans? And I think there are ideas and options. I wish I could be like, yeah, man, here it is. You can buy tickets right now on Ticketmaster.com. I wish I had more plans, Jess, but I will also say I wouldn't I wouldn't want to do another another high profile production without there being a recording. The question just becomes when to record it. Because be more chill, there are people that still stand the off-Broadway be more chill because it wasn't quite its final form yet. Yeah. And as a really tweaky, changey boy, the idea of like, I don't know, the idea of not sticking the landing on the timing correctly with the album means that just like a YouTube video that is going to be flawed forever or a film that's going to be flawed forever, uh, if there's something that I wish I hadn't done on that album, it's going to be everybody's entree to this show forever and it'll be the way that every Kirk and Data and whoever memorize it when they're not really paying attention to the sheet music. So the question is when to pull that trigger. But of course, I think this show's got a bright future. 
It's just a matter of um, we're currently figuring out what that's going to be. That's so exciting. Um, is there any chance of maybe a uh, StarKid method where you'll just kind of put it out there for the world and let the audience find it? I've considered that, but the thing is, StarKid's whole model is so incredibly different. And part of why I think it's good that they put something like Twisted on YouTube is because it's a show with like 30 people. It's rated R and it has like orchestral like 15 or maybe 20, maybe not 20, but a large orchestral arrangement. That kind of show is unproducible. Nobody has the money, especially post-COVID, to do a show with that many people that isn't at least kind of family-friendly, that has that many Mm. instruments required to play it. So it's perfect for them to put it on YouTube and be like, we're giving everyone the experience of this show, even though it would be really hard to produce at your local theater. Khan was, you know, has been whittled down to its essence so that it can be done anywhere. Because to me, the prestige of... Oh, I've got. I've had a long-running show in New York. Well, that's awesome, and I want that to happen. But when this has been, you know, when this is being translated into Norwegian, to be done at like you know, the 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 Royal Norwegian Theater, like that will be more <laughs> exciting to me. Or like when there's a really good community theater production in Muleshoe, Alabama, that is just as exciting to me as, oh, we won the Outer Critics Circle Award. Like, I mean, you know. No no shade, Outer Critics Circle, but, like, there's a lot of things that a show can be, and just New York-centric and just trying to win awards is, is but one shade um, in that crayon box. Anyway. Well, other people... Nope, I'm nope, not doing that one. Um, hey, what is our <laughs> overall thoughts on... <laughs> <laughs> on the musical and our cheese ratings? Andrew, why don't you start us off? Oh, man. I mean, we've been nothing but positive because uh, Brent is here. Obviously, if he wasn't here, this would have been a very negative episode. <laughs> he has a gun on us. I don't know if you guys he, know he this. Does, he did draw the gun. Uh, it's, it's, it's it was right shortly after he started doing the, the plot synopsis. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, no. Honestly, um, well, I mean, obviously, Trek is not, like, my thing. But I, I did think that this was... Um, a pretty fun and well done show in even even as a person who doesn't really like Star Trek uh, I still had a, a decent time with it there's some fun songs there's a, a coherent story that you can follow regardless of if you already know about Trek um, and I honestly I think a lot of the uh, actors were, were having just a great time uh, and you could kind of tell just by watching mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> Did you laugh at any moment? What was your favorite joke, Andrew? I did not laugh at all. I was straight-faced the entire time. <laughs> I just like the idea of you with, like, a blanket over you looking at this on your phone watching no emotion. And then I'm like, at the end, I go, that was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> as far as a cheese rating, I'm going to give it a Brill cheese, which is uh, apparently a type of cheese in Star Trek. I, I, I can't decipher this shit for the life of me. I'm on the, the Trek wiki right now. Um, apparently this is made with grackle milk. I don't know what a grackle is, um, but Brill cheese. It looks like it caused major malfunctions on some ship after they served it because of bacterial infection. I, in, <laughs> Star Trek is a thing, you know? It is indeed. Brent. What about your overall thoughts on Untitled Star Trek Parody Musical um, and your cheese rating? That was the original title. Um, I got to tell y'all, I 
did not think about the fact that I have to give it a cheese rating. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, but I will say my thoughts on it. um, I think it's pretty good. And I think that the same like obsession that made it where it got to this point hasn't stopped. So it's like now it's pretty good. My brain's like, but what if you change this part? But what do you do? And it's like, I think honestly, it's pretty good. I should probably stop revising it one day. Not now, though. How many out, times man. have you watched this fucking show? Did you have to watch this every single night? I didn't have to, but I literally saw all 25 performances, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which one was the best one? Oh, damn. 23rd. There was, this, there was this one night where... So how I judge the show typically is like how a couple of key jokes go, but the most important thing is... That when in the show there's a death scene that's actually a serious one, and then there's a follow-up to that that is sort of like the culmination of the whole, you know, Kirk's I Want song, and it's like the final the final moment in the actual story, aside from the finale. And those two things sometimes didn't go like we wanted because somebody in the audience would think, oh, they're playing this for laughs too, and they wouldn't stop laughing. And it's like, no, nah, I'm really trying to figure out how to switch over to, like, emotional honesty here for just a second. And so there was one show where just like everybody understood it and the actors kind of locked in and it was always better after that. But I think it was like the third Friday maybe where it just finally truly locked in. And after this raucous rowdy show, when the sad parts happened, you could have heard a pin drop and like a little bit of sad noises, a little bit of sniffles. It was like really, I don't know, man. It was like really, I, I, what kind of douchebag tears up at his own parody musical making, you know, like, but uh, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. That's what I like to hear. Um, Yeah, uh, the show's got that, the fact, I think the last laugh for a good chunk is um, Spock just saying, I I beat the Kobayashi Maru in first try. Yes, and this I think guy that's a, nailed it in one. Yeah, like and from that point on, it's basically serious, and then we we swing hard the other direction. <laughs> I really, I, I really like the show. I'm a big fan of what you've done with it. I followed it for a while, and I am very, very proud of you and your success. It was a great night out, and I had a very good time. Um, seeing it with different audiences and different vibes is very, very fun, um, and. Quite often, the vibe in the audience really does, it is contagious. Um, so jokes that I've like, oh yeah, that's clever, to before I just fully laughed at this time. Um, and that was really wonderful. And this cast that you assembled together really, really got it, really had the energy for it. And truly, it was incredible. I, I really do want to put out, put out some names to the people I thought really did a great job. Um, deceptively difficult role is the Uhura Carol da- Carol role. Um, yes. Um, played by Crystal Marie Stewart. She was yes. getting laughs that I didn't know were there, and I I I was always very happy when she was on stage. Um, especially during the um do, 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 um the hyper channel rag. Um, yes. when she has to say all those no's, I I love that part, and I really really appreciated her. Um. And it always felt like these character, these actors were playing characters and not caricatures, um, which was always nice as well, because everyone knows these people, and I really wanted to give the kudos to them as well. Um, 
as far as the show goes, I am giving this um, basically Swiss cheese, but from tri- made from triple milk. Um, oh. Because... oh, boy. Careful when you milk a triple. Um... Yeah, be very careful when you milk a triple. Um, because, you know, I love Swiss cheese. It's a good time. Um, and it's usually my go-to. And it's a fan favorite for everyone. <laughs> cheese I'm going to go with, go with is... So, okay. This is a show about things in space that aren't real, but feel like they could be. And for a long time, there was a, like a like a, a meme, like a pre-meme culture meme that the moon was made of green cheese. It's in space. It's fanciful. It's interesting. It's not made of green cheese. And yet, the green cheese that the moon isn't made of is a lot like this show. So it's the green cheese of which the moon might not, but might be made. <laughs> um, Brent, you as always are a lovely guest, a lovely human being, a great, great composer, and I'm very excited for what's coming up. Um, I know you got a lot of things on the horizon and a lot of things to promote, so take the time, promote it all out. Well, um, so yeah, uh, you can follow the journey of Khan the Musical uh, on social media. Khan is K H A N, uh, and that's going to be at Con the Musical on Twitter, at Con the Musical on Instagram. You just search Con the Musical on Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg won't let us use all of our exclamation points, unfortunately, but you'll find it anyway. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, at Brentelfloss. And my comedy party game, Use Your Words, is going to have a sequel soon. If you like games like Jackbox or Balderdash or uh, that kind of thing, you will probably enjoy it. It's on all the consoles as well as PC and Mac via Steam. Um, wow, I'm really rusty on my podcast promos. I'm sitting here like people on Patreon probably seeing me make the weirdest kind of like scanning my brain face. Um, but yeah, you can find out more about Use Your Words at useyourwords.lol or if you just search Use Your Words on your favorite uh, sort of eShop digital console retailer or uh, Steam for Windows and Mac. Mm-hmm. And any more podcasts, question box coming back or anything like that? Um, Kate and I, my, my co-host of a podcast called Question Box, which you should really go and listen to Jess and Andrew's episode of, because it's really fun, <laughs> and you'll learn a lot. Truly stuff you would not know from listening to their show, even for this long. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we want to do more at some point, but we're just so slammed, it's like we're going to have to find that perfect time between projects. And what we, just to give you a hint, what we think we might want to do is um, Question Box All-Stars where we just bring Ooh. back some of the guests that we think would be fun to pair with other guests. Like if it was you two versus another two hosts of another podcast, and it was kind of like a little bit more family feud. Um, I'm going to fucking but kick will that, their will ass. Will that happen? Oh, yeah. We would win everything. Sure. Well, we'll see. But for now, if you want <laughs> to hear a game show about super personal TMI questions... Uh, you can go check out Question Box at questionboxshow.com. And I think on Twitter it's at questionboxshow. We haven't done an, an episode since, like, 2020. So I'm pretty sure that's still the case. <laughs> I love that show. I think it was a great premise. I, 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 I look forward to its return. Um, Thank you. On that note, 
Thank you guys for listening to our show this far. Please follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher at Musicals with Cheese. Or on Twitter at Cheesy Musicals with an extra E because I wanted the word cheese in there. Follow us on Patreon at Musicals with Cheese, Instagram Musicals with Cheese, YouTube page Musicals with Cheese. Patreon-only podcast is Patreon with Cheese. And we do commentaries and stuff there. Email us at musicaltheaterliz at gmail.com to tell us why we're so wrong about everything. Our keeper of the cheese is Juliet Antonio. And every week for Juliet, I give them a little ASMR. Do you want to try it this time, Brent? Say something ASMR-y into the microphone? Um, sure. How about, um... Hey, do you like cheese? (laughs) Oh... Yeah, I don't yep, know about you, it. but I've got feelings. Um, that's it. This show is edited by Andrew DeWolf. Um, thank you to the Broadway Podcast Network for having us on the platform and for not kicking us off. Um, I don't know, <laughs> for talking about cons so much. I didn't have a good one this week. Um, I, I rank my years by Star Wars's. And in case you haven't picked up or thrown down, we'll see you next time on Musicals with Cheese. <laughs> one <laughs> I wanted to pick the one that nobody expected Savick's theme Hey it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the Rise Theater Directory a program of maestro music Rise is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds if you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.